Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is Call to War Video Briefing number three. Spirit of the Lord is speaking to his church and calling to his church through many, many instruments and conduits today, and I thank him that he's chosen me to be one of them. And this is a very critical message from the Lord today. And I pray upon upon you and I at the very beginning of this that we would receive grace, mercy, and peace from the Father, even our Lord Jesus Christ, to be able to receive this, to have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to perceive, receive, and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to talk today about iniquity. Specifically, the spirit of iniquity that's already at work in this earth. And in many, many uh, dimensions and scenarios is prevailing in the earth. So, let's talk about what, what iniquity is and why God has such a significant problem with it. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth. Now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. Not the adversary's time, but at God's set time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked, and the word translated wicked here and is used as a name, a descriptive title, is the root word for the Greek word translated iniquity. Then shall that wicked, the personification of iniquity, be revealed whom the Lord hath consumed, uh, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. He will not be the one doing it, but he will be the one that allows it. He will give permission to those, for, to the adversary, uh, to deceive with delusion those that have not, that have rejected a love for the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause, the cause is that they receive not a love for the truth. Notice received. It didn't say they uh, they didn't attain to or they didn't persuade themselves to. You can't. You and I can't have a love for the truth except God Himself gives it to us by His grace, by revelation, by impartation. So they rejected God's gift of the love for the truth because you, you and I must love the truth if we're going to be saved. If we're going to be saved. For this cause, because they rejected God's offer 
of an imparted love for the truth, an empowerment of love to pursue and believe and stand by truth so that they could be saved. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. These are some of the most disturbing, challenging, provoking words in all of the scripture. And one of the reasons they are so, especially for me and for you and for our day and generation is, is they are specifically addressed in, uh, in time frame to us. This is not talking about stuff that happened in Paul's day. Didn't happen in Paul's day. Didn't happen in Peter's day. Didn't happen in the Dark Ages. It didn't happen in the Reformation. It didn't happen in the the uh, outpouring of the Holy Ghost at the beginning of the last century. It is today. It is in our day. Our day. And so we need to pay particularly close attention to what these verses say. The, uh, the use of the word mystery here instead of spirit is not, it's not saying that it's, the, it's not the spirit of iniquity that's already worked because it is the spirit of iniquity that's already worked. But the word mystery means something that's covered, that's trying to operate in secret. So this, this spirit of iniquity wants to be covered he doesn't want to be recognized for who and what he is because this is the spirit of Lucifer, the one that we now call Satan, the adversary, the enemy, the devil. This is his spirit. This is the number one characteristic that he has. Ezekiel 28 verse 15 says, Thou was perfect in all thy days from the, from the time you were created until iniquity was found in you. And so this is so critical for us because this is the spirit that's working. And the Antichrist isn't going to be Satan, but he's going to be the embodiment of Satan, the incarnation of Satan, of the spirit of iniquity. Now, he's not going to reveal that to us. He's not going to say, I'm the devil, and I believe in iniquity. So we must allow the Holy Ghost to give us wisdom and discernment and revelation so that we might see clearly with our eyes and hear plainly with our ears what the Spirit is saying, that our hearts might discern this Spirit and its operation in the world today so that we can see the effects of it on lost souls. Jesus' name. So let's talk about this sin of iniquity. I've already quoted it, but I'm going to read actually Ezekiel 28, verses 14 and 15. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Men, the only created humans was Adam and Eve. Every other human has been born, not created. So 
This has to be the the, the fallen angel Lucifer that's being discussed. So the, again, the original sin was not pride. The original sin was iniquity. The iniquity was iniquity. So let's look at what the word iniquity means. What is the spirit of iniquity? Well, just like with the, the word grace, so many people say, well, grace is unmerited favor. Yes, that's true. That is the motive behind grace. But it's not what grace does. It's not what grace is and not what grace does. What grace is, according to Philippians 2.13, is, uh, and, and Paul confirms this, and I'm not going to quote the verses now, but you're welcome to look them up. First, First Corinthians 15.10, Paul demonstrates that grace is what Philippians 2.13 says it is, for it is God which worketh in you. And the Greek word there is activates, energizes, or causes to be operative in you, both to will, that's wish, want, or desire, the Greek word is thelema, and to do, to have the ability to do those things that are pleasing to him. So grace isn't just unmerited favor. Just like iniquity isn't just lawlessness. Iniquity is the result, or lawlessness is the result of iniquity. But what is the motive? What is the attitude? What is the spirit behind lawlessness? Well, this is what it is. See if you recognize this one at all. Iniquity is expressed by the attitude, nobody tells me what to do including God. Or the attitude, I am my own law. That's iniquity. That's iniquity. Self-will is iniquity. Self-sufficiency is iniquity. The lie that we've quoted as being equaled with Scripture, God helps those that help themselves, is not only a lie, it is exactly the opposite of what the scripture says. Jesus said, John 15 and 5, without me ye can do nothing. Cain, Cain's sin was first and foremost iniquity. I'm going to bring the sacrifice that I want to bring to God, and I'm expecting him to sacrifice, to accept what I'm offering. <coughs> Abel, brought the sacrifice that he was taught to bring because of the sacrifice God made in the garden to cover the nakedness of his mother and father, Eve and Adam, with coats of skins. Somebody had to die to, to, for, for God to provide those coats of skins. Somebody's blood had to be shed. And according to typology, we know those were sheep. So Cain, uh, Abel had to be a tender of sheep, and Cain had to be a tiller of the ground. Well, the Lord said he cursed the ground, and now it wasn't going to produce by itself. So what came out of the ground was produced by Cain's labors, and he brought to God what he had brought about through his own labors, and God rejected it. God rejected it. How many times did Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, say, 
in the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of John, the Son can do nothing of himself. Now, if we are Christians, if we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are saints of God, then we have to have the same attitude that he did. We have to have the same spirit that he did. This is what uh, Jesus talked about when he said, if any man will come after me, Luke 9, 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself is the King James language, but the Greek is disown himself, disavow himself, renounce ownership of himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. So, what was Jesus's final cross? What was the cause of death? I know the place of death was the cross, but historically, crucifixion in and of itself didn't kill anybody. The act of being nailed to a cross does not by itself take a person's life. So the cross was the place of death, but what was the cause of death? Whatever that great struggle was that Jesus had, that he prayed three times in the garden and sweat great drops of blood, what was that? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. I cannot be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and live by my own will. Now, I acknowledge that I can want to and desire to live by the will of God every day. That doesn't mean I do it perfectly. That's why he said, if you sin, which is the Greek word to miss the mark, then uh, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That's why he said a few verses before that, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness or to restore us in our journey toward the mark. But iniquity is against that. Religion in and of itself is iniquity. It is man telling God how man is going to serve God and what man is going to do for God that man expects God to accept. That's why the word religion is a very negative word in the New Testament all the way up till the last time it's used where you had to have a positive adjective with the word in order for us to know what God was actually saying. Pure religion, it says, and undefiled is this, that you would visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And while that is a very positive biblical thing to do, is there anybody that believes they can be saved by simply doing the acts of pure religion? You can't believe the Bible and believe that. You can't believe the Bible that you can be saved by doing nothing else but visiting the fatherless and the widows and their affliction. While that's a very good thing to do, and it is the love of God for us to take care of the fatherless and the widows, it doesn't save you. Religion can't save you. And its ally, tradition, because you can't really separate tradition and religion, because tradition 
is iniquity. It is man adding to the word of God, the precepts of man. It's self-will. It's iniquity. Tradition is not okay. Now, traditions that are not tied to salvation, yeah, there's some things we do that's okay. It's not a big deal. Jesus didn't wear a coat like I do. And when I go to services, uh, worship services, most of the time I wear a tie. That tie is tradition. This coat is tradition. But I don't believe I have to wear a tie to, to a worship service to be saved. I don't believe I have to wear a coat to a worship service to be saved. And as long as I'm not making my, our practices salvation issues, then it's not a problem with them. But when those traditions, the way we've always done it, become equivalent to the word of God, I'm practicing iniquity because I've added to the word. Or if there's things in the word that I don't like and don't agree with, and I find through my flesh and through my spirit of delusion because I don't have a love for the truth, that I don't like them, so I just take them out of the word in practice. I have practiced iniquity because the purpose of either one of those, adding to the word or taking away from the word, is a product of my will. It's not God's will. If he'd have wanted it in there, he'd have put it in there. If he'd have wanted it taken out, he would have taken it out. So therefore, when I practice adding to or taking away from the word, I am doing iniquity. Iniquity. Iniquity is expressed in practice by refusing to give up control of myself and my life to God. Iniquity says, I will run my own life. I will make my own decisions. In some cultures, this may be an admirable trait, but in God's culture, it's the height of offense to him. Here's iniquity. I go to church faithfully. I worship God. I obey, at least outwardly, the law. The Pharisees obeyed the law. Paul said he always kept the law. Peter told Jesus, or the voice of God, on the rooftop in Acts chapter 10. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. The rich young ruler said, "I've, I've always kept the law. So it's possible to keep the law theoretically, and be full of iniquity because I've got my life conveniently divided into the spiritual life and the natural life, and God's in control of the spiritual, and I'm in control of the natural, but I'm in control of how much time is spiritual. So I go to church, and you know, if we pressure the preacher up he'll ca- enough, he'll cancel services. Or if we can vote by our iniquity to not come to church when the man of God and the spirit of God has called us to come together, then uh, if he is wanting to make sure he's preaching to the biggest crowd he can instead of wasting his time with a small group, then we cancel services because that's all a part of iniquity. That lets us have control over more and more of our lives. 
That's why it's diametrically opposed to what the scripture says, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together. And so much the more so as we see the day approaching. That why is it in our day we're coming together less and less rather than more and more? Because it's the spirit of iniquity at work. You say, well, the spirit of iniquity doesn't work in the church. <laughs> then why is there a constant reference to iniquity and shunning it and avoiding it and not obeying it in Romans all the way through Jude and into Revelation? Why is it? Why did Jesus say? Here I'm going to quote this again. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Not, and he said, many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works or mighty miracles. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me ye that work iniquity. The Greek word therefore know is, I've never known you in a relationship I approved of. What relationship is that? You do your will part of the time and I do my will part of the time. That's called a double-minded man. And the Greek there literally is two-spirited person. It's a two-spirited person. I follow the spirit of God in the times that I'm paying my premiums on my eternal life insurance policy. And the rest of the time, I'm listening to the spirit of iniquity that feeds my will and says, you have a right to run your life. It's your life. If it's your life, you're not saved because the Paul said, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. And this is the, this is the fulcrum of, upon which the entire, uh, 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 Christian life turns right here. Where's it going to be? Well, I'm looking for balance in my life. God's not looking for balance in your life. He wants all, he wants you to do his will 24 seven. There's no balance of my will some of the time, his will some of the time. There's no balance there. That's the fulcrum. The fulcrum is whose will am I going to do? Whose will am I going to live by? <clears throat> when the spirit of iniquity is so effective in the world today that it's affecting those who have the divine nature, who've been a made partaker of the divine nature because they've been baptized with the spirit of God. And many of those that have been baptized with the Spirit have the name of Jesus called on them in water baptism, washed with his blood. Now, to preach, to cast out devils, to do mighty miracles, strongly implies that a person has the Holy Ghost. These signs shall follow them to believe. And... uh the emphasis on the name of Jesus would imply that they knew who the one God is and what his name is. And yet he said, I, I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know you. Depart from me. Be ejected from my presence. Why? You work iniquity. And what is his definition of iniquity? I'm not doing the will of the Father. I'm not doing the will of the Father. Uh, God hates iniquity. Psalms 5, verses 4 and 5. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. 
thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Disappointment, yes. Disappointment with those that he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light who want to fellowship occasionally with darkness. What fellowship hath light with darkness? Paul would have been saying those things in 2 Corinthians 6 if it wasn't an issue, if it wasn't possible for those that were in the light to still be trying to fellowship with darkness. Righteousness with unrighteousness. Temple of God with idols. Come out from among them. Be ye separate. What is the, what is the reason that this goes on? Well, this is the simplicity of it. The reason that light tries to fellowship with darkness because darkness encourages you to do your own will. Unrighteousness is doing your own will. If I'm the temple of God, I'm the temple of God, God's temple. He's in charge. His will's in charge. Well, but what do we, you know why humans have always liked idols? You know why men like to worship idols? Because idols are dead and they don't have a will you have to follow. So you can pay your homage to an idol, soothe your conscience, deceive yourself, and live your way because you are a worshiper of an idol, and that idol does not have a will you have to follow. That's the draw to idols. That's the draw. That's when, that's why humans are drawn to idols. That's why we make idols out of things. We make idols out of concepts. We make idols out of culture. We make idols out of political correctness. And what does political correctness say? It doesn't matter how God created you. Whatever will you choose to have as to what you are in gender, that's a good thing. Iniquity. Political correctness says you may be pregnant and you might not have chosen to get pregnant, but you have a right to choose to not be pregnant. Iniquity. That's what the, that's what the, the spirit of the, the iniquity does. That's what it does. Let me read to you about Christ, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And the angel of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he, has, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. That's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now, it's possible to be a prayer, a dedicated prayer, possible to pray five times a day, every day, and God not hear. Religious prayers aren't expecting an answer. Religious prayers are just putting in our time, fulfilling our obligation. So that once we have fulfilled our obligation to God by fulfilling our prayer time, we can now run our own lives. Because if in our prayer times, we're not surrendering ourselves completely to God, to his will for this day, for every moment of this day, we're not praying prayers of righteousness. We're praying prayers of iniquity. This is what the word of God says. Psalm 66 and 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, 
the Lord will not hear me. What is regarding it? If I have an affection for, or a, a proclivity or a desire or a, 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 a tendency to do what I want rather than what God wants, the Lord won't hear you. I was engaged one time to a girl that, from an emotional standpoint, everything seemed perfect. It was fairy story stuff. But a few months before our wedding, I was on the phone with her. She was living in another state, and I was at the Naval Academy. And we were talking about what our life was going to be like and what our home was going to be like. And I, I made some statements. This is... As you know, this is what our home is going to be like because it's going to be a place where the Lord is honored. She said, well, what if that's not what I want the home to be like? I was stunned. I was so shaken by it. I got off the phone and I said to the Lord, you know how sometimes you pray and you you ask God to, uh, you're asking God something that you're sure you know the answer to and you're just wanting him to confirm it to you so you can feel better? I did that. I said, Lord, is, and I called her name, is she your will for me? And he said, no, she is not my will for you. And I said, why are you just now telling me that? He said, because this is the first time you've asked me that and ever since you've met her, you've never asked me that. You assume circumstances and emotions reveal my will. They do not. Well, I was so devastated, I said to him, I, I, if this is really you talking to me, I can't break up with her. Uh, you're going to have to have her send the ring back. I, I can't ask for it back. Two weeks later, I got a lumpy envelope in the, in the regular mail, and there was my wedding engagement ring I'd given her in the envelope. Yeah. The very day that I was supposed to be in the Midwest, getting married, June the 7th, 1968. I was over a 1,000 miles from the, the site of the wedding, and I went to a church service on a Friday night in Jacksonville, Florida. And I was there early, and there was a beautiful young lady I'd never seen before that I knew of that was sitting at the piano, playing the piano. And I had been married to her over 51 years because the Lord said she is my will if I regard iniquity in my heart the Lord will not hear me I can't get the will of God unless I'm willing to accept the will of God for regardless of what the will of God is I can't pray and tell God what the will of God is and and try to convince him he will let me have what I want if I'm persistent enough He'll say, go ahead. That doesn't mean he approves. But if you want it bad enough, you can press God and he'll let you have it. But it won't be on him, it'll be on you because we're not praying, nevertheless, not what I will, but as you, but what you will. John 9, 31 says this. Now we know that God, Jesus said, uh, now we know that God heareth not sinners. And what is a sinner? Somebody that works iniquity. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. 
what is the what is the message that our iniquity sends to God? What what is the message? What what does our iniquity say to God? First of all, our iniquity denies the existence of the vast and fundamental differences between the one who is infinite and in charge and those who are finite and are not in charge. We want to make ourselves like God. That was Lucifer's problem. God made all the decisions. And while, like humans, angels have the ability to choose, they weren't given the right to choose. And so Lucifer chose to go against the will of God one time, and it was he was done for forever, forever. There's no redemption for him or the angels that fell with him because they had the ability to choose, but they didn't have the right to choose. Now, man, we're made lower than the angels. We got flesh. So we not only have the ability to choose, we have the obligation to choose. We have the responsibility to choose. And we are accountable for our choices. We're accountable. Another message that our iniquity sends to God is our iniquity claims for the one who is fellowshipping with iniquity the most fundamental right of deity to be in control. And I've said this many times. The Holy Ghost has said this many times. You and I have the right to choose. But the difference between us and God is God can make his choices come to pass. We have no control over whether or not our choices happen and how they come about. Oh, we can try to influence it. We can try to control it. How often does that work? Very, very few times. And I'm wondering if at times it appears to work, if it's not a God opening the opportunity for a spirit of deception to see if we're going to believe that lie. It's a test of our will. And the third message that our iniquity sends to God is, as a result of our iniquity, our iniquity steals the glory that belongs only to deity, thus defrauding him of the praise that is his alone. Whoever is the director and the power behind what we do gets the glory. And the easiest way to think of the word glory in this context is the credit. Man wants the credit for everything. But God says he is the one that gets the credit. So it's not just a matter of will. It's a matter of who gets the credit because of that will. God's will, his credit. Our will, our credit. And he's not going to give his glory or his credit to another. There is and will only be one will in heaven. Hear me, dear friend, brother, sister, hear me. Hear the Holy Ghost today. There's ever going to be only one will in heaven. When Lucifer introduced a different will in heaven, he got kicked out. There's not ever going to be but one will in heaven, the Father's will. The will of the Father will be the only will of heaven. There will never be room for more than his will in eternity. How do we prepare for eternity? We prepare to be a part of his will then 
by seeking his empowerment to enable us to die out to our will now and to submit to his will now. We are practicing every day. We are learning every day. He is teaching us every day how to not do our will and to do his will because only those who have demonstrated that they're going to do his will here are going to have a place with him in heaven. He has a place for those who do their will. It was created for Lucifer and his angels because of iniquity. And everybody that goes to hell, Yohanna, the lake of fire, will go because, not because of any other sin, no matter how good of a person they are. There are nice people who are full of iniquity. Because the lawlessness, or as some translate iniquity as wickedness, is defined by God, not by us. We think a nice person can't be wicked. But according to God, wickedness is a result of our will. It's giving ourselves to our will and cheating God out of what he purchased on the cross, which is us and our surrendered will. If we are not willing to fully submit to his will here, we will never be a part of his will there. Let's talk about the spirit of iniquity in our day. It is the will of God for the spirit of iniquity to be restrained until it is his time for it to be loosed. I've read these already, but I'm going to read just uh, verses 6 and 7 again. Now we know, now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. The what, the word what, uh, withholdeth, the word withholdeth in verse 6 is the same Greek word as the he that letteth in verse 7. Withholdeth and let are the same Greek word. And according to Strong's, it means to hold down or fast in various applications, literally or figuratively. figuratively. According to Thayer's, it means to hold back, to detain, to restrain, to restrain, hinder the course or the progress of that which hinders. Uh, for instance, the Antichrist. I'm reading from Thayer's now. Antichrist from making his appearance. It's not the Antichrist holding himself back. He wanted to rule the world starting in the garden. He wanted to have an equal place in heaven with God's will. He's not holding himself back. God's holding him back. But now here's the question. Who is the restrainer? According to Robertson's word pictures, Greek scholar, that which restrains or holds back, the word withhold is in the neuter in verse 6, and the word let is in the masculine in verse 7. According to the United Bible Society Translators Handbook, uh, Translators Book of the, uh, for the New Testament, it says literally it is, and now the restraining thing in verse 6, you know, most translations expand this belief statement in order to make the, the meaning clear. The restraining thing, uh, neuter, becomes a restraining man uh, by some translators, but it is masculine in verse 7, restraining man. In the today's English version, something that becomes the one who is the next, uh, uh, something 
that becomes the one in the, who is uh, who is in the next verse. In both places, Paul uses the definite article the. This suggests that the readers are supposed to have heard of this power, this person already. It's something we're supposed to already know. Already know. Well, who who is the restrainer? Well, of course, God is a restrainer. But according to his word and will, how is he supposed to be restraining? Well, through the church. Well, how can it be neuter in the in verse six, the gender be neuter in verse six and masculine in verse seven, if we're the bride of Christ? And of course, the connotation of a bride is someone expresses the ability to birth children, to nurture, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yes, but we're also the body of Christ, and the body Christ was not female; Christ was male. And as a as the body of Christ, he does through us typically male things. Authority, power, protection, warfare. Now, for you to see how accurate this is, we've got to look and see uh, exactly who the church is in the earth. And I doubt, I hope, there's nothing I'm going to say in this part of this message, this briefing that you haven't heard before. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to them, blessed art thou Simon Barjona for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. The only way you know this, Simon, is my father reveal it to you. That's why the other people that I ask you, who did men say that I am? They don't have a clue because the father hadn't revealed it to them. Verse 18, and I say also unto thee, thou art, that thou art Peter, Petra, Petros, excuse me, that's a small pebble, and upon this rock, Petra, a large giant boulder or even a, a rock face of a cliff, I will build my church. I will build my church. And then he says, this is the first mention of the word church in all the Bible. And the law of first mention is so significant because you need to pay attention to it because he's laying the groundwork principles that forever will apply. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We are not attacked by the gates of hell. We're supposed to be attacking the gates. Gates are a defensive reference, not an offensive reference. You got something you want to protect, you build walls around it. You can't get the wall that keeps the enemy out, keeps you in. So you have to build gates so you can get in and out of your own walls. And because the gate is the weakest point of the wall, that's the place you most heavily defend. And so therefore gates became to be known as place of power and authority. But it's defensive, not offensive. You don't take your gates to war with you. So he promised the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give the, unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be loosed in he, shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Both the Amplified Version and Weiss translation says something very similar to this. Whatsoever 
you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. In other words, we're not initiating this. We're conduits of God. He initiates it. He speaks it through us. It happens. And then going further on who the church is in the earth. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. I'm reading quickly. Wherefore I also... Uh, after I heard of your faith in Lord Jesus and love for all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you my prayers, that for this cause, for this purpose, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto your spirit, unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The knowledge of who? The Father of glory. The word him is a relative pronoun, has to refer back to the the the, the, the uh, most the noun of the closest proximity, which would be Father. The knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened that, for this call, this purpose, that you may know the hope of His calling. And what? Three things. You may know the hope of His calling and what is the... uh, You may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance and the saints. What has He got out of this? And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The Lord raised a lot of people from the dead. On the day of Christ's resurrection, saints come up out of the grave. But he didn't just raise him from the dead. He set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. That is a figure of speech for, and we know this to be the case because the prophecy was, among other places, Hebrews 1 that I read earlier in this lesson. Thy throne, O Oh, God is forever and ever. The man Christ Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible God. And he is sitting on the throne of God. He's not sitting. God is not in a bodily form. The Father is not in bodily, bodily form sitting on the throne. And Christ is sitting on some small throne to his right side. The right hand is a place of power and authority. And that place is sitting on that one throne. There's one throne in heaven that God sits on. Amen. So he's been set on that throne far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. But we just ignore, we seemingly, we just ignore that first part and we only go to the part, last part. Okay, we can't wait for the day when God will manifest his Power far over principality, power, might, dominion, every name. One of these days in the in heaven, that's going to happen. Wrong. If we can't be a part of that in heaven, if we're not first a part of it here, that's what we're here for. That's what God's called us for. That's what God has made us for. That's what he hung on the cross to do. That's why he gave us his spirit. That's why he puts his name on us. Because He wants to do this now. Listen to the continuation of this. Far above, he sat on the throne of the right hand, the place of authority and power in heaven, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet. Hath put, it's already there. Hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, including the spirit of iniquity. It's already at work, which is his body. Didn't say bride here, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. This is referring to the body of Christ, not the bride of Christ. 
Not speaking of those things where we're the mother of us. He's uh, the New Jerusalem, the church is the mother of us all. Not speaking of that part. He's speaking of us as his body. He's the head. We're the body. He's the husband. We're the bride. But from an authority standpoint, he's the head sitting on the throne of heaven. We're the bride. Just like I can stand in water up to my neck and my head is in the air, my body's in the water. That doesn't disconnect the head from the body because I'm standing in water up to my neck. Two different atmospheres, of course. Well, this is the thing. Our head is already in the place of victory. Our head is already in the place of authority and power and might over everything. But he has transferred that authority to our feet and has put all things under his feet. Gave him the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, filleth all in all. That's the first prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians for the church. The second one is in chapter 3 of Ephesians. Listen to this. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. So Revelation 1, God reveals to us who we are in God. Ephesians 3, Paul prayed that we might receive the revelation of who God is in us. That we are strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's called grace. That Christ may be at home, take up permanent residence in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love, that you're anchored and founded upon love. That we may be able to comprehend or apprehend or take into us the revelation of the understanding of the, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And that we might know experientially, not intellectually, the love of Christ which passes, surpasses, is superior to knowledge, all knowledge, all intellectual knowledge. Experiential knowledge is always superior to intellectual knowledge, no matter how many degrees are behind the name. It is a dangerous thing to only have knowledge of God intellectually because you've been taught it through human agency. Being taught through human agency is a direction, is, is something God wants us to do. But it's only supposed to be the beginning of our knowledge of God. We're supposed to take that and spend time with Him and in His Word, investing that time in the presence of God and in the study of our, with the Word with Him and us, Him and I, Him and you, Him and me, so that He can give me experiential knowledge. And when that happens, then we will be filled with all the fullness of God. The church is God's fullness, but he is our fullness. When we get the revelation of who we are in God as the body of Christ, and we get the revelation of who and what he is in us as his child individually, his body collectively, this is going to be the result. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. It didn't say all that we do. 
but all that he does because unto him that is able to do. He is the doing. We are doing the praying. Not only are we, can he do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask in prayer, but all that we can think and don't have the faith to ask. We're oh, This is talking about prayer. And he's already told us that he's He's put us in him and him in us far above all principality, power, might, dominion in this world. Now, not just eternity. All things are under our feet. And he's the head over all things for us, to us. That's why Paul also said we're blessed with all spiritual blessings. We have been, have been, past tense, blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Because he's there. He's already there. And we're here. And we're the body of the one sitting there. He's the head, we're the body. What does the body do? The body does. But he does it through us. And this is what the scripture says. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church. Unto him all the credit belongs to him in the church. That's why we pray not by our might, but by your might, not by our power, but by your power, by your spirit, saith the Lord. And we pray. It's you, it's for your kingdom, it's by your power, and it's for your glory. <clears throat> That's our motive check and all of that. That's the purpose of this. But notice, now unto him is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask, we ask or think according to the power that word there is power is activated, energized, working power in us, and that means that power is working, that authority is working through us. When we pray, that's where it's supposed to work, when we pray. When we do that, that he's going to get glory, he's going to get credit in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. This is his plan forever. When are we going to learn how to do it in eternity, here and now? That's what this is for now. This is why. So uh, if that is big, how about this? As he is, so are we in this world. He said it. First John chapter 4, verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, complete, mature that we may have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, present tense, so are, present tense, we, so are we in this world. Are we? Is this what he was? Is this what he was? Or is he still waiting on us to be able to be himself in this world through us. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Well, here's Jesus' words spoken while he was on the earth. John 21, 19. 
Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors he would, this is the resurrected Christ, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled together for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said so, he showed them unto him his them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Well, Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. Are we sent? If we're not doing what he came to do, then we're not cooperating with being sent. So whose will are we doing? It is his will for him to be able to be who he is right now in this world through us. As he is, so are we or him through us in this world right now. And Jesus said, as my father has sent me, even so sin, present tense, I, you. I'm supposed to still be doing in the earth what I did on the earth for 33 years, but I'm supposed to be doing it through my body of Christ throughout the earth. And when he had said these, said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive the Holy Ghost. Now we know that they didn't receive the Holy Ghost here because he wasn't yet glorified according to John chapter 7, verse 39. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. And remittance is remission. And we know that to receive remission of sins, you have to be baptized according to Acts 2.38 and other places. So he's not only prophesied to them they're going to receive the Holy Ghost and commanded them to receive the Holy Ghost, receive ye the Holy Ghost. But here also he's imparting the authority to baptize and that baptism is not just an act. It is for the remission of sins. That's who we are in this world. Now, I'm hurrying along for time's sake. Acts chapter 26, Paul tells us his testimony. And he talks about the fact he was, he, he was knocked on the road to Damascus. He was going to persecute the church with an escort, a, a, a Roman escort to lend validity to his uh, authority. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand up, stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. Here's the reason I've come to you, Paul. This is the purpose. To make thee a minister and a witness. Both of the things which thou hast seen and of the things which in which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. For what purpose, Jesus? To open their eyes and to turn them. And that word turn there is also translated convert. To turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that for this purpose they may receive forgiveness of sins. And that's the same Greek word translated remission of sins, both here and in Acts 2.38. And inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And Ephesians chapter 1 tells us the only way we can have that inheritance is by having the earnest of that inheritance, which is receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And finally, Paul said this, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. 
God, this was the call he had, and this is what he did. This was his life. This was his ministry, to open the eyes of people's spiritual eyes, to turn them or deliver them from the power of darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. If we don't do the prayer ahead of time, the field is not plowed and the seed will be on wayside ground and the birds of the air will come and eat it. So preaching is not effective if it's not preceded by prayer that restrains, that retains, that delivers, that binds the strong men of the house so that the house can be spoiled. Then Paul says, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be you followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So that is also our calling, is it not? Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he said, Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things, he said, which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, the God of peace shall be with you. So, here's the question, and this is what the first six months of this effort is about from September, excuse me, from March, the beginning of March through September. It is a time of repentance and revival. We're not going to come against the spirit of iniquity until October. But we've got to get ready. To be able to do that. Why? Oh, hear the, I pray that God would give you ears to hear that it is not a man speaking. I'm just a conduit. It may be the voice of a man, but the words are God speaking to his church. I pray he would give you ears to hear what the spirit is saying to the church. We cannot defeat and restrain the spirit of iniquity if we don't first defeat iniquity in our own lives. So that's what the purpose of this next six months is. For the 1st of October through the 1st of March, excuse me, till the 1st of October. That's why the Holy Ghost is asking us to have at least one day a month where we, we have a 24-hour prayer chain and we fast that day. And the rest of the time, there needs to be Words from God to go forth that calls us to repentance from our iniquity. Dying out to our will and yielding ourselves to his will. Why? Because Satan doesn't have to obey us if we're not submitted to the will of God. He doesn't have to. You got no authority. Pray all you want. We pray for things that don't happen all the time. We pray for sicknesses and diseases and all kind of stuff all the time. We pray against the devil all the time. Why doesn't it work? Because it, I can't defeat iniquity while fellowshipping with iniquity. I can't defeat lawlessness while I'm running my own life. I don't have power and authority over sicknesses and diseases when I'm not submitted to the power and authority of God myself every day, every moment of the day, and repent when I don't, sincerely repent when I don't do that. 
Paul said it this way, 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, and having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his possession, those he owns. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let everyone that names the name of Christ die out to their will by the grace of God and surrender to do his will. And then Paul said another place, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation and the fear to all men, treat teaching us. Grace isn't just a, the, the, the uh, uh, un, uh, unmerited favor. Grace is a teacher, too. He not only empowers, he teaches. What does he teach? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God, of the great God and our Savior, not two coming, just one, the great God and our Savior, who gave himself for us, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that we might be redeemed from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, meaning works he does through us. Praise God. Now, we cannot expect anything to submit to us more than we are submitted to God. Prayers don't work. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. He won't change this if he won't, if we won't let him change us. This situation won't alter, won't yield to our prayers and the words we speak unless we yield to him and his prayers. Luke chapter 7, verse 5. The apostles said unto him, Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you? So he's saying, it's not more faith you need. Even a, the smallest amount of faith is enough to see great things done if it is paired with this. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say to him by and by, when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meet, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. I, that's 1611 King James English for, I don't think so. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. If I'm not submitted to God, even when it's inconvenient to my flesh, I've been working out in the field. The word plowing is what preaching and praying does. Feeding cattle is the verb form of pastoring or shepherding. It's the verb root word of the word pastor or shepherd. So you're out there doing this, this work for God. But we're going to find out if it's for God or him doing it through you because if I'm doing it for God and I'm tired, I deserve to rest. 
But if God's doing it through me, then I stay submitted even when I'm done with the work for today and I fellowship with him. Does he thank me because I do that? No. Why? Because I've simply done what was what was commanded me and I didn't earn anything for myself at all. In Mark chapter 11, uh, I'm not going to read all this, but Jesus, uh, Jesus was hungry and he saw a fig tree as they were on their way from Bethany to Jerusalem. And that fig tree had leaves but no fruit. And he said, uh, no man, that's all he said. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the Bible says, and the disciples heard it. And uh, the scripture says when they were returning from Jerusalem to Bethany the next day, as they passed by, verse 20, Luke, uh, Mark 11, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remember, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. He didn't use profanity. He just spoke negatively to it. How many things do we speak negatively to our children, our spouse, the church, the preacher, our circumstances? How many things do we speak negatively to because we don't believe the word of God that death and life are in the power of the tongue? We don't believe that. That's why we recklessly and carelessly speak words. But Jesus saith unto them, verse 22, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24, therefore, a conclusive conjunction joining what was said in the previous two verses to what's about to be said in this verse. Therefore, I say unto you, whatsoever things ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. But how do we pray? He said, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith in God, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, he shall, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. How many times do you use the word say here? Therefore, this be what faith is. What you, whatever you desire, when you pray, how do you pray? By speaking the word of faith. And you believe that you receive them, and you don't doubt in your heart, you'll have them. Now, this isn't this isn't the horn of plenty that we have access to now. No, no, no. I can't speak words of faith because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the rhema of God. I can't have faith in God and speak words of faith if I didn't receive that word from God, which means I have to be able to hear the voice of God. So the things I desire, they didn't come from me. God puts that in me to pray for it. He gives me the rhema of faith to speak about that, and it happens. Now, why would I doubt that it's going to happen? 
Because if I'm not submitted to God more by his grace than the thing I'm speaking to, I know it's not going to happen because where's that doubt coming from? I'm a double-minded man. I'm two-spirited. I am trying to live by my will and God's will, trying to live in the spiritual and the natural naturally, not as a child of God. My friend, this is a very critical time. I haven't talked in this briefing about the specifics of how to restrain and the prayers that we will pray to restrain the spirit of iniquity that we will do collectively, those that are part of this effort, we will not do until uh, October collectively. Now, if you are submitted to the word of God and you don't have uh, the will of God and you don't have iniquity in your life, and the Holy Ghost moves on you to, to pray about it now, especially if you're praying in tongues, you don't even know what you're praying for. Far be it from me to tell you not to obey God. I'm not saying that. But this effort that he has required me to call for, the purpose of the next six months is that the church would become truly submitted to God not just in doing his will, but in knowing who we are in him and in knowing who he is in us so that we can submit to that by faith so that when he speaks through us, we know it's him speaking and it's going to happen. Now, the adversary doesn't want you to get to that, but he will, my friend, he will use you like that. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for you, my brothers, my sisters, I pray for myself. I pray for those that you minister to and lead, and I pray for those I minister to and lead. I pray for those that we live around that desperately need to know the truth of the word of God. They might be saved. I pray for us to receive this spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, both who we are in him and who he is in us, so that we can believe with confidence that we are submitted to his will and we are not doing our own will by the grace of God, that when he speaks through us, what he speaks through us is going to happen. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let it be so and it is so. In Jesus' name, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you and upon me. In Jesus' name, amen.